Steven Seagal versus DMX. Bradley Cooper's talent is limitless, and Paris is on fire this week on 30 2010. Ladies and gentlemen, and everything in between, welcome to 302010, the uh, Laser Time Network's weekly pop culture time machine, exploring, going back in time, uh, taking a look at one week. 30, 20, and 10 years ago, a rip-roaring journey through the decades of where we are right now, 1991, 2001, and 2011, and we'll tell you everything worth looking into that happened on the weeks of March 12th to the 18th in this episode in uh, those decades I just mentioned. Hello, I'm one of your hosts, Chris Antista. Who else is with me? I'm Diana Goodman, and that's me in the corner. That's me in the spotlight. Oh, goodness. Oh, no, I've said too much. (laughs) Well, surveying executive realness... It's me from the house of Sarah. (laughs) (laughs) I don't understand that yet, but, you know, listen to the show. You'll gradually get the references. What a fun-filled week of Marchy Marchy goodness. Um, This is what you might have been doing around, should we say St. Patrick? We could say St. Patrick's Day. That's a holiday some people care about. We don't get the day off, but uh, you're free to get drunk in public. Every minority group needs its own holiday in the U.S., and it's kind of not fair that the Irish have the one where we get drunk and make fun of their culture. (laughs) That's true. You tell that to the the guys you took Columbus Day away from, huh? Well, (laughs) see, I've come up with alternatives for Columbus Day, and that is Danny DeVito Day. Oh, that's so great. You can drink his limoncello. Yes. It's and time. sing his theme song. It's time to bash the whore pinata. <laughs> St. Patrick's Day is for amateurs. Oh, shit. Oh. <laughs> Spoken like a true lass. Way to go. The real, the real Irish know how to drink, and it's alone while crying. <laughs> <laughs> and reading poetry. Let's put it this way. There's a lot of that in this week's episode. I'm just kidding. It's movies, TV, video games, music, and so very much more. But let's get into the decades, as we always do, beginning in 1991, March 12th to the 18th. A little bit of news to bring you into 1991. Oh, God, members of Irish gay and lesbian organization march in the New York St. Patrick's Day Parade after years of being banned. Mm-hmm. Uh, so... That's right. Yeah, the, the New York St. Patrick's Day parades all over the country wouldn't let gay groups march because Catholicism... You know, yeah, and I think there were protests and there might have been a lawsuit. And yeah, finally, they got to march in a little group uh, and everyone went, oh, <laughs> cool. Yeah, it, it, just, it, just, it just goes to show you with a little patience, give or take a century, the, sec- the Catholic Church will come along. They will <laughs> they'll eventually adapt. You're making a real bad move if you exclude the LBGT community from your parade. Yeah, because if <laughs> we know that now. Because if they to throw a good parade, we, it's the oh, queer community, okay? Yes. Like, spruce up those floats. Let's get this going, you know? Mm-hmm. This we know, and this is one of the, uh, yet another one of those things I wish I could Christmas carol every conservative and all their silly beliefs and, like, remembered when this mattered? Now, it, and after it didn't matter anymore, you never thought of it again. The gays were in all the parades, and you loved it. Uh-huh. <laughs> no. You were wrong about I, this stance. I, I saw this on the news, and I was like, oh, my God, I remember this being a thing every year. And, yeah. like... Why? Yeah, it seems so ridiculous now. Of mm-hmm. like, yeah, it seriously is like a couple butch lesbians from Galway who just want to wave at the crowd. <laughs> let let them yes. do it. 
Let them do it. Everybody's wearing a kilt. <laughs> Come on. Not the Irish. Well, but, some Irish wear kilts. Look, look, lesbians love plaid. The Irish it's love true. plaid. There you it's go. true. Just watch who you pinch. Okay. Although I think I think kilts need to adjust very strongly now because I just watched Coming to America. Yeah. <gasps> Loved it. The, the clothes Did in it were so incredible. Yes. But yes. If oh. Wesley Snipes does not keep wearing a kente cloth kilt every day, I need it to is. see this on Oakland streets tomorrow. It, it is, is an amazing very, look. Very good look. I really hope coming to America is like really sets off a whole new fashion wave because every outfit was a feast for my eyeballs. Stunning. Yes. I loved it. Stunning. And it's, it's the same uh, costume designer who did Black Panther. Which uh, she obviously did tons and tons of research about all these African traditions and fabrics, and then she went fucking crazy with it. It's, it's, oh my god! And this ties into a movie we're going to talk about, believe it or not. I'm just glad to hear an assessment that it was doing something well uh, instead of comedy, because and never mind. I'm not, not here to spoil. It, it. Well, it's but, we're going to fight about it. It's, just it's not. very pleasant and cute, but oh, the costumes were yeah. jaw dropping. Take what you can get. I was let it's down. It's a family yes. film, okay? That's what we have bonus time for if I have to complain about it, which I won't. Uh, maybe that was it, that it was a, a PG-13 mm-hmm. sequel to an R-rated movie. Anywho. Yes, because everyone who loved it when they were young are now wanting to watch it with their kids and introduce it to who their children. Clean the royal penis. That was such an important sequence. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway. Don't you have sex with your bathers? I know I, <laughs> I do. I know I do. And, and all right, 1991, the world of movies, March 12th through the 18th. Uh, whew, a little bit of a mixed bag here. Silence of the Lambs is still number one at the box office, showing you what kind of phenomenon that's going to be throughout the year. It's pulling a ghost. Yep. Uh, oh yeah all that's a month that that makes it a month now wow uh doesn't happen nowadays because movie theaters don't open Uh, anyway uh the the perfect weapon is out as well as well with uh jeff speakman mako and uh, mariska hargitay yeah i got a baby mariska hargitay in this where it's like god damn she looks like her mom so much it's just like yeah you could just throw her in anything turns out she's also talented but i you know it's a uh, it's an action martial arts type movie i mean we're kind of at the tail end of that trend mm-hmm. with you know your american ninjas and stuff but yeah, action is okay according to all the reviews so i mean eh. i'm not here to judge because like if i had to say the movie i was most excited about this week was uh richard grieco's if looks could kill <laughs> oh, with, no. also, with linda hunt roger reese gabriel anwar and robert roger daltrey uh, oh what bunch of bunch of secret ringers in that cast roger reese was great mm-hmm. i miss that guy he was um was he prince John in uh, Robin Hood Men in Tights. That guy. Huh. Robin right. Colcourt from uh, Cheers. I love that guy. To think. Okay. Anyway. Yeah, so Richard Grieco was on 21 Jump Street, and they tried mm-hmm. to make him uh, like a spy action movie, and uh, it's awful. Oh. It, it, is, it's it awful. was fun as a kid. Uh, I remember we liked it very much uh, as it's kids. It's very kid-friendly. It's and that's what yeah. it was supposed to do. I mean, it was it was it was the Agent Cody Banks of its day. It was supposed to. I think it was set up with Anthony Michael Hall involved, and it was just supposed to be like the Brat Pack James Bond movie. Right. And instead, we got Richard Grieco in 1991. But uh, yeah, it's you want that one with John Stamos instead. That one. It's it's oh the oh my god what is that oh, with Gene uh, Simmons? Never never too young to die. Never too young called? to die. That shit is so great. That's hilarious. This and, one's just eh. Yeah, uh, and, and uh, just a minor gripe. I'm I'm picking as I know we have a lot of listeners in LA, and I'm not shitting on streaming services for not having stuff. But Diane and I, I think we're big fans of the Warner 
movie archive. Yeah. Like, this movie's not popular enough to commercially release, so you can buy it on DVD, and we'll send you a like a literal burn DVD with a printed <laughs> printed in, inslet. What the fuck is HBO Max for if not to have the Warner catalog available streaming? They even had that yeah. service before HBO Max. And I'm just, this isn't streaming anywhere. Mm-hmm. Bummer. Uh, when is that yeah. going to happen? When do I get to watch Freebie and the Bean? Or the, the Flintstones <laughs> Christmas special? We're all wondering, yeah. you know? <laughs> yeah, the, the first season of the Pac-Man show. I don't want to have to order Poor- that for $30. Alan Arkin is not being able to afford his insulin because he's not getting residuals from Freebie and the Bean. And that's not right. Exactly. Exactly. That movie rules. Uh, <laughs> speaking of movies that's might rule, I don't know. Mary Elizabeth uh, Mastrantonio. Ooh, um, glad I got that name out before a couple drinks in. Gene Hackman, class action. I am not going to be a party to destroying evidence. We've got to get rid of her. You so much as look in my daughter's direction. They won't be able to identify you with dental records. Ah! Flash action. Rated R. Starts tomorrow at theaters everywhere. Hackman! I haven't, I haven't Googled Gene Hackman in a few months, but I usually try and check up on him. Like, how's he doing? I haven't seen him since 2004. I mean, he's he's being pretty Hackman-y here. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not quite Popeye Doyle's a lawyer, but... Um, <laughs> Yeah, it's about uh, this like sort of liberal crusader attorney and his corporate daughter, and they're facing off in a case that is totally not the Ford Pinto. <laughs> mm, gotcha. And, you know, there's all kinds of like, there's corporate shenanigans and spying and all oh, the family stuff is dragged up. And like, you know, as a courtroom drama, it's pretty good. Like we have a couple yeah. legal thrillers this week that and it's like, it's pretty good. Sam really liked this, but we could not find it to stream. Unfortunately, no, no that we have that problem this week because these yeah. are all like B minus movies. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. they're good, they're watchable. You might remember them, but they're not they, like no staying power on these guys. And, and right. guess guess I'll who owns them. this one is now through acquisition owned by Mickey Mouse. And where are they going to put it? Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, but it's like it's a grown-up movie for grown-ups. Yeah. Like there's not really much for a kid to like in it. I remember seeing it in the theater though. I was a kid. I was 13 because my brother wanted to go see a movie that I think we're talking about next week for little kids. And I was like, no, I would rather go watch this legal thriller that's possibly above <laughs> my pay grade. I love picturing little Diane in an Oshkosh, same head, like demand to go see Clash Action instead of the latest cartoon. Yeah, Clash Action. It's pretty good. And I, what if we're over, overrun with lawyer movies? Um I, yeah, I, this is kind of a legal drama, too. Uh, George Wendt, Sam Wanamaker, and uh, Patricia Wedding, Annette Benning, and Robert D. Nero in Guilty by Suspicion. In whose homes did those Communist Party meetings take place? Don't you have an ounce of decency? I need permission to use your name, David. You want my permission to inform on me? In whose homes were some of these meetings held? Why don't you just give them what they want, David? All my friends. God. I'm being followed by the FBI everywhere I go. Oh, I love myself a good Red Scare movie. Oh, goodness. Yep. Uh, yeah, it's a pretty solid one. Um, it failed at the box office, which I'm kind of surprised by because this, I feel like schools everywhere probably bought a copy of this to explain the Red Scare in like the simplest way possible. And, and I, rem- like... I, I remember this poster being everywhere. So maybe uh-huh. more people discovered yeah. it on video. Yeah, I, I'm not really sure why. I mean, it's a, it's a solid drama about... 
the HUAC committee going after Hollywood in the early 50s. And like, we have to root out all the communists. And by communists, we generally mean people who like unions. And uh, yeah, we're going to have all these hearings and you got to name names and your life is ruined. If you don't name names, your life is ruined. If you do name names and the folks behind it are real solid. It's kind of Scorsese adjacent and yeah. he pops up in He's it. in it. Yeah. 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 It's, it's uh, producer. Cinematography by uh, Michael Ballhouse, who worked with him a lot. Mm. It's directed by Erwin Winkler, who produced a bunch of Scorsese's movies. So, mm. yeah, I mean, they get like a whole bunch of really good actors in there. Some of them are, hey, it's that guys. But like, you know, Chris mm -hmm. Cooper pops up and uh, maybe Tom Sizemore pops up. And it's a pretty basic version of the story. But we kind of you like you need one of those to just yeah. like yes here's what you can show to the eighth grade class to explain like yeah sometimes the, like the government does actually try to impinge on your first amendment rights to free speech yeah. and association because they thought communists were so bad that they kind of turned into fascists about it and that's bad everybody yes. that's bad and only because they're grandstanding on a platform to appeal to morons and mm. <laughs> we might see that again sneeze ted cruz <laughs> <laughs> sneeze him indeed yes <laughs> yeah, I watched the first like I think Sam and I watched the first like forty minutes of this, and then kind of just drifted away from it. I mean, yeah. part of it is I am a little tired of Huac movies and mm. and media, just because I've there's I just feel like there's a lot of it, like and. Yeah. It's 1991, so maybe then, obviously, probably wasn't as there was as much of a glut. Wounds but were now, fresher. in 2021, yeah. I'm kind of like I get it. I, yeah, sometimes I sometimes it, it exactly. reads as like Hollywood. This is the worst thing that ever happened to us, and we can't yeah, stop yeah. movies. Well, and I do think there's a part of filmmakers stroking themselves off to look how terrible this thing happened to our industry, oh, our yeah. industry, <laughs> and I would never have named names. It's like okay, uh, okay. Yeah. well, let's see. Yeah, but that's true. We also have Trumbo. We have Good Night and Good Luck. So, I yeah, mean, yeah. which are more specific I, individuals and this is more of a general fictionalized right. version it's like, and mm, i've been listening yeah. to a lot of you must remember this too so oh, yeah. it's like kind of no matter what season is they're talking about and you must remember this huac comes up yeah yeah and she did a whole series on it it's yeah, really exactly. good about how ronald reagan was a rat for the fbi uh-huh uh-huh while he was the head of the union fucking uh -huh. reagan <laughs> That's yeah. uh, Guilty by Suspicion for our final movie. We're not going to list any cast here. I don't know what this is. I didn't look closely at this. I have not seen Paris is Burning. Ten to. This movie is about the ball circuit. A competition amongst gay people under one roof. It's like crossing into the looking glass. How their families. Kids with broken homes or no home at all. My name is Angie Extravaganza, and I am the mother of the House of Extravaganza. I'm Willie Ninja, the mother of the House of Ninja. Ninjas hit hard, they hit fast. We come out to assassinate. I am Pepper La Beja, the legendary mother of the House of La Beja. And I've been around for two decades. Raining, that is. I cannot stop watching this goddamn trailer. Oh. Okay. Oh, this is, this is not what I expected. This is fascinating. For a movie that's not even 80 minutes, mm -hmm. it's like 20 movies in one. They Okay, A, they should be showing this movie in schools because it's a very important part of American culture and has kind of like set the tone for a lot of the 90s as we know it as far as pop culture, music, dance goes. Also, this is the queer canon. I mean, this oh is like... God, yes. <laughs> you can't get much more queer canon than Paris is Burning. Yeah, um, so it, it's a documentary that was filmed starting about 86, 87 about the ballroom scene 
mostly in like Harlem where gay black folks were getting together because there was nowhere else for them to go. And it's about the culture there of like drag shows and, you know, how trans women performing. We see where voguing comes from. Yeah, we're talking about it now because it didn't actually get released until 1991 because it was made on like a student budget and it took forever to pull together. And it Uh, is a national endowment from the arts as well. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It took them. It it took a long time to get together. So it's pretty fascinating just as a look at a subculture. But the fact that it is an underground culture that has influenced so much of modern pop culture. Yeah. I mean, the term throwing shade Mm-hmm. Guess where most people heard that first? If they didn't hear it on RuPaul's Drag Race, they got it from here. Huh. Or reading someone, they got it from here. Or tens across the board. Or mm-hmm. yeah, so many things. It's where it's from. This subculture, freaking voguing. Yeah, can I Willy... explain how big voguing was? Willie Ninja is in the Vogue music video. Oh wow! So he, it's just such an important film for mm-hmm. a group of people who are so influential on pop culture without anyone knowing their names or anything about them. And a significant population of those people are not with us anymore because of violence against the LBGD community and especially violence in the form of no funding for a, well, murder. Yes. And then there is a murder in the movie because someone, because a trans woman has to do sex work to survive and she's Mm -hmm. murdered. And AIDS, Mm -hmm. Ronald Reagan again. Fuck. Yeah. (laughs) The violence of ignoring the AIDS epidemic and the violence of treating people like they are less than, which leads to one of the highest suicide rates for any population in the United States. This is an extremely important film and fun as fuck too. It is It is fun. I know that sounds like a major bummer, but it is mostly just like music and dancing and fun. But it's also like sociologically, it's so interesting because these are all people like everyone's story is pretty sad. They're all people who like got kicked out of the house for being gay when they're like 15. And this is them like overcoming having like a fantasy on Saturday night to overcome the shittiness of like the regular day, which is the same thing that disco was for white people. But also, like the different categories, like this, I, I rewatched it again because I've seen it a bunch of times, but I rewatched it again. And it's like, it hit me as much sadder this time because some of the categories, like, it's not just like dress up like a fancy lady from Dynasty. They have like, yeah, executive realness or college student realness. They're, they're dressing up as things they're aspiring to be that are things that seem pretty fucking basic, like being a college student. That is an unattainable goal if you're gay and black and it's the late 80s. So you pretend, and that's part of the fantasy, or just being in the military. You couldn't be in the military and be gay and anyone know about it. So they pretended, they celebrate the pretending, but then they also criticize each other for not being good enough, which is like, that's weird. Yeah, that's fine. I mean, competition Support each other, fine. bitch. Yeah, I mean, I mean, a big part of this too is that so many of the people in this community have been, were kicked out of their homes, had to live on the streets, we're doing sex work and that's where the houses came from because they they made their own chosen families and a lot of mm-hmm. times they would live together there's the mothers of the house who took care of their children and and the drag children and and everyone kind of looked out for each other because nobody was looking out for them and so yeah. it's really there are some very triumphant parts of this there are some very sad parts of this there are some very fun parts of this documentary it kind of touches every part of your heart and it's just 
it's just phenomenal. And I, I have to recommend, I watched the first episode of Legendary, which is mm-hmm. on HBO Max, which is the new ballroom competition show that um, so far I'm very impressed with. I cried through most of it. Um, so that, <laughs> oh, in a good way. are amazing. Just un- yeah. trying to separate out what's the difference between a house and a dance crew. And it's like, there's not a big difference, but some of, there's some difference and all that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, obviously Pose, which they just announced is going to have right. a third and final season. That's pretty much the drama version of this. They take a bunch of storylines from Paris is Burning and that pops up. And to bring Chris in here, Hi. Chris, there is a dead body sitting hidden in this movie. What? Yeah, not like that Wizard of Oz or Three Men and a Little Baby or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Urban legends we can easily debunk, yes. Yeah, so Dorian Corey is really like an old school mother hen type who's, you know, she's been here, she's seen it all, and she tells the whole history of everything. Uh, she died in 1993, and a dead body was found hiding in her closet that had been there for 15 years. It, yeah, it it's, and she's like sitting in her closet for most of this movie. Are you kidding? So like there's somewhere behind the that that wall is a is a discarded body there was a body in a trunk wow. yeah wow no and i'm I was, not sure I... did he kill himself did she kill him but yeah he had been he, this guy disappeared 15 years ago and oh there he is when they're cleaning out her apartment i was actually looking to see where you could find this streaming and i was a shocked to see it's it's barely available but it is available to rent on apple and the criterion channel it has a, a yes. apparently a really good new disc out for uh yeah. is burning yeah it's got a criterion edition it's got it's in the national film registry and just to tie it all together there's a part where one trans woman is going she wants to become a model so much and she goes to an open modeling call and one of the people there is sherry headley the love interest from coming to america oh, wow. <laughs> yeah you see her just briefly and i was like is that the girl from coming to america and then i watched oh, coming cool. to america and i was like she aged like six months in 30 years. She <laughs> yeah. looks incredible. Yeah, that was pretty bizarre. But yeah. then, it's like, what happened? But then, I don't, I don't know. I have to, there's, there's a lot of digital magic because everyone in that movie aged super well. Even Louis Anderson, <laughs> our <laughs> only white member of the, the cast of Coming to America. Um, yeah, I was like, yeah. should we just call this Black Don't Crack the movie? Yeah. Because <laughs> everyone looks great. Yeah. for 30 something years later yeah so i mean paris is burning it's an important movie but it's also yeah it's fun and entertaining and crazy and interesting and makes I, you think i i oh, yeah. hate to step on this but it sounds like this film has everything um, <laughs> it has societal importance a real life murder um it, it's denied it's, it's denied an, uh, a nomination at the oscars and everyone's like yeah. why and then they had to disclose like what are your criteria for nominating a documentary for the oscars or is there a criteria that makes you not nominate a movie for the oscar mm-hmm. and it, it did win that conversation the sundance though grand jury yes. yeah. Um, greatly yeah. so um but yeah and the dancing is incredible too i mean as the as yeah. our, <laughs> our resident dance critic um yeah i mean the dead drops the duck walks it's all just absolutely fantastic <laughs> it's it's like nothing you've ever seen before if you've never seen drag or if you've never seen ballroom culture it blows you away the first time i saw it i was like what am i looking at and then <laughs> i was like yeah no i love this i love every second of this it's so yeah. cool if you've ever enjoyed RuPaul's Drag Race, you it's it's required viewing. Mm-hmm. Like you you need to have watched this. It's all gonna make so much more sense now. Hell yeah! All right, uh, again, Criterion Channel and uh, Apple only Apple for some reason. It's a bizarre exclusive. Yeah. Moving into television, something I can I definitely remember, and it's very very fun for me. 1991 television, the 12th through the 18th, and the 16th. 
Saturday Night Live is hosted by Michael J. Fox, musical guest, Ooh. The Black Crows, one of my least favorite bands. <laughs> uh, oh, shut up. Uh, yeah, <laughs> sorry. Um, and, but I love Michael J. Fox. He's coming off his big hit in the hard way. And, of course, they do constant Back to the Future references, including... In the middle of the monologue, Kevin Nealon that plays Doc breaks in. Apparently, uh, you're gonna bomb on this monologue. We got, <laughs> we got, we got to go get you in the past. And I think because Dana Carvey and David Spade both love doing Michael J. Fox impressions, it's just you get to see three Michael J. Foxes doing ah oh, me oh, oh god. And like at the same time, it makes me laugh a lot. Hey Doc. <laughs> What's going on here, Doc? Oh, we got here just in time. You can still back out. Who are you people? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm Michael from six days from now. Yeah, I'm, I'm Michael after he's done the show. He bombed. Hey, hey what's this? I bombed. Yeah, bad. Look how it ages you. Oh, jeez. Oh, wait, wait. Wait, wait, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Uh... Chase, I get to get out of here. Right, okay, come on, guys. It's mostly David Spade, so you know. So in audio, it just sounds like Michael J. Fox. <laughs> and on HBO this weekend, uh, an HBO movie, The Josephine Baker Story, which I think yeah. I saw. Lynn Whitfield, Reuben Blades, Louis Gossett Jr., and uh, coach Craig T. Nelson. In dance, it made me the most talked about woman in the world. I had fame and money and Paris and freedom. I was loved by bankers and danced for royalty. It's the story of a woman who became the first to break all the rules. Top billing. The first black star of a Zigfield show. The first to confront the barriers of race. You, soldier, do you want to be in the back all your life? No, ma'am. Well, then you better get down here. Josephine's going to whip your hide. <laughs> it sounds incredibly <laughs> heavy-handed, but I do believe, like, if not for this movie, I would not have known who Josephine Baker is because... Mm -hmm. HBO was kind of this window into history at this point with its its HBO original movies. Yeah, this is really good. And I remember Lynn Whitfield being great in it. And I've just always wondered, like, why did, why did she never become a bigger star? Mm. Like, she's in a bunch of stuff and she'll pop up and be like, oh, yeah, oh, she was on Greenleaf. Okay. But it's like, I, I don't know what Angela Bassett has that she doesn't. <laughs> it's like, I mean, make a movie where they team up and, like, fight crime. <gasps> oh, my God. Or they play sisters. Oh, my God. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so the Josephine Baker story, and no games to speak of so much this week, but um, yeah, lots of music. Someday by Mariah Carey is still number one in uh, the week of March 12th through the 18th of 91, but we have some new releases. Free by Rick Astley. Yeah, he had another album. I'll send you a link to it. That'll definitely be the right one. Outland by Gary Newman is also out. The Real Ramona by Throwing Muses. Freak Show by Bullet Boys. Goat by The Jesus Lizard. Black and White by The Bodines. And Out of Time by R.E.M. Whoa, boy. Out of Time is one of the first albums I've ever had that I listened to so goddamn much that I think I ended up breaking the tape and had to get a new one. Yeah, This was just the soundtrack for me for a long time. Just like you could put, tiny, put it on just really quiet and that's fine. You just listed it. It's so freaking good. I, I remember I got into REM with Automatic for the People, but like these singles were still charting and their videos were airing concurrently with everything from automatic for the people and if you don't only know this out this for shiny happy people and losing my religion it like diana says a really great album mm -hmm. i remember i hated hearing losing my religion 
Then I didn't have a car for a couple years, and I just never came up. And then now I hear it, I'm like, this mm. song fucking slam. This is really good. <laughs> yes. This video it's is amazing. Really good. I'll be in the dentist chair, and I'm like, oh, yeah, I fucking love this song. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. And this the, the video for it was so trippy. Ooh, this yeah. Is, I don't know if I want to call this. I guess I'll call this R.E.M.'s big breakout because, yeah, Automatic for the People was huge. But this, I mean this got so much play on MTV that they were never getting play before. Yeah. And people who did not know who they were, now they know who they are. I think they, they were in like an indie, this is like their sixth album. So like they were yeah. relegated to like kind of indie status from whatever that scene yeah. was in Athens. And uh, I am I am a big fan of R.E.M. Yeah. I always, if they would have quit earlier, we talk about them like they were the fucking Beatles. But they, they <laughs> mm. kind of well, went a little too long. I'm serious. I'm totally serious. This album is I, great. Yeah, no, I agree. Mm. There's a whole podcast is devoted it? to that. <laughs> One of my favorite names of a podcast of all time. Well, I don't even remember. Are you talking REM, ah, Ray okay. Not one of mine. I see. Their new season, by the way, is Are You Talking Talking Heads to My Talking Head? Uh. <laughs> God. <laughs> I love it so much. Yeah, but it just it sounds so freaking different than anything else, yeah. and it's like, oh, well, it's just they like mandolins, but <laughs> <laughs> still, like that was we played so much music for 1991, and it's very synthy. Even the rap is very synthy, yeah. and this just like, ooh, this is like feels real, man, and that's going to be a theme for 1991 is the changeover from synthy to real. Yeah, it's got it's got a rock yeah. song with KRS-One on it, I believe. Yeah, and, it's a good song. Yeah. Song. It's all coming back about, to me. Yeah, about how much the radio sucks and only plays corporate shit. Yes. That's how you open your album. <laughs> well, let's go out with Losing My Goddamn Religion, one of the really, really great songs. And But stay right there because we got a lot more to talk about in 2001. That's me in the corner. That's me in the spot. Like losing my religion. Coming in with uh, Leanne Womack's I Hope You Dance. It's on the charts this week. And if you're me, you will hear this in the Chinese restaurant you work at every evening for the rest of your life. This is the queen of Delilah Rock. Girl, try being in a dance company the year this comes out. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. I didn't even, I just looked at it and like, I don't know this song. Like, whoa, I know this song very well. Good Lord. Mm-hmm. Welcome to 2001, everyone. March 12th to the 18th. Uh, speaking of music, we got some other new releases here for you. Firestar by Fredo Star, self-titled by uh, Stephen Malcolmus. 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 Malcolmich. To Record Only Water for 10 Days by John Fushianti. Blackwater Park by Opeth. Human by, I feel like I just list through a Berkeley Breath character. <laughs> Human by Rod Stewart. Uh, Regeneration by The Divine Comedy. Sunny Border Blue by Kristen Hirsch. And uh, All About Chemistry by Semisonic. Reptile by Eric Clapton. And the self-titled debut of Trick Pony. Uh, Stutter by a Joe featuring Miss is still number one this week. Mm. Stephen Malcolmus is the lead singer of Pavement. Oh. Kind of a big deal in yes. the indie in the indie world. Yes. And uh, 2001, a little bit of news. Transitioning you from music into news. 
ever so lightly with Sean Puffy Combs, who is he's acquitted this week. Yeah. Uh, for a 1999 nightclub shooting, um, however, fellow bad boy recording artist Shine is convicted and sentenced to 10 years for attempted murder. Uh, and that was the end of the story until I bothered to look up. So Shine got out, right? What what happened to him next? And it's like, well, now he needs to have a movie or a reality show. Huh. Because well, can, in prison, he converted to Orthodox Judaism. Hello. And then he was deported back to Belize after he got out. Then he moved to Israel for a while to work on his Jewish studies and then went back to Belize and last November was elected to the House of Representatives. Wow, good for him. (laughs) What the fuck? And beefing with like everybody. Like he had a beef with Rick Ross for a while. And like, but he also shows up on the Carter Four and it's like, what is. Good for you. The only thing I remembered about this, this, this incident. Is that like at the time Puffy was dating Jennifer Lopez, but wasn't by the mm-hmm. time it went to trial and then they had to like call her in as a witness oh, and yeah, her fans right. were incensed. Oh, she's so over him. Why is she in a murder trial? <laughs> Wait, it was a murder? Uh, attempted murder. Attempted murder. Oh, attempted. But uh, good on you, Shine. Jesus Christ. Um, I don't feel very comfortable calling you that, but uh, whatever. You... <laughs> uh, it's so, with a Y. Okay. Yeah, you can call it. It's like Moses Levi something is is name that he's taken on for non rap related things. Yeah. Because you know, okay. he's, he's an Orthodox Jew now, which obviously made me look up. Did he ever perform at Modest Yahoo? Yes, he did. Of course. He well, did. Yeah. put out that album. Mm-hmm. And uh, movies of two thousand one. Oh, so important. A movie. I, I'm actually shocked I never saw because uh, as much as I love the first one, Cruel Intentions two. <laughs> Oh, boy. Well, let's get into this. So Cruel Intentions 2 is not a movie. It is three episodes of a failed TV show. Whoa. Okay. That was called Manchester Prep. That was supposed to be a (gasps) Cruel Intentions prequel show starring Amy Adams and Robin Dunn. Before anyone knows who Amy Adams is, she plays the Sarah Michelle Gellar part. And then when they it didn't go to series, they re-edited it to make it a movie. And then they just cut in a bunch of nudity (laughs) to make people want to see it more. Sure, sure. Which is, yeah, yeah. The, the thing, the original Cruel Intentions pulled its punches on. We're not yeah. showing you so these they, real teenagers naked. Yeah, they caligued it. <laughs> they caligulated it, where they just cut in like, oh, now they're in a shower. Here's some girls in a shower, and now we'll just cut to back to a scene. All right. Uh, kind of sounds like up. undressed a little bit. <laughs> yeah. It just, <sighs> I mean, the idea for a Cruel Intentions show, I well, I mean, isn't that kind of Gossip Girl? Like, I guess they kind of yeah, did it. It's Gossip yeah. Girl or Pretty Little Liars or whatever. Mm. Yeah, more Gossip Girl. Pretty Little Liars is like, oh gosh, I don't even know how to explain Pretty Little Liars, honestly. <laughs> okay, but I'm gonna have to ask ask everyone from Pretty Little Liars to put on their dad hats so we can talk about Bob Hoskins, Joseph Fiennes, Rachel Weisz, uh, Ed Harris, Jude Law, and Enemy at the Gates. Those snipers had demoralizing my army. They sent their top marksman. It seems he's come all the way from Berlin to stop you. How are you going to go about finding this young Russian? I'll fix it so that he's the one who finds me. So I've never loved this movie as much as multiple people I know do, including your husband. I've watched this with him, I think, three times, Sarah, and fallen asleep back when we lived together in a much smaller world. Yeah, that feels right. (laughs) But I also have never seen a movie told from the Russian side of the war. Yeah, like we never get that in English-speaking Hollywood or even British movies, really. I mean, there's plenty of Eastern European movies about their side of the war, but a, a big fancy Hollywood movie where our hero is a member of the Soviet army and they're mm-hmm. fighting Nazis at Stalingrad? Yeah, Battle of Stalingrad. Yeah. 
I, I, I remember something that, like, every time I do see something about Russians uh, in World War II, I see something they depict in this movie. We don't have enough guns or ammunition for everyone, so you hold this ammunition, follow the guy with the gun. When he falls, pick it up, reload. We're good, right? Great solution. And, yeah. <laughs> and, and it's depicted like, look, there in There is film. one rule in Russia, and that is, we have too many people. Let's just throw them at things. Yes. And I, didn't they, yeah. they lost the most people in the, in the war, other than... By like, a lot. Yeah. Yeah, and, and it isn't. Did you watch this with Michael this week, Diana? No. Okay, he, he pitched something very similar for VGA, something about snipers, and it is like yeah. a cool sniper movie. Yeah, yeah, it is a cool sniper movie. Yeah, I mean, I totally forgot it's directed by Jean Jacques Arnaud, mm-hmm. who did Name of the Rose and like Quest for Fire and The Bear, like artsy fartsy oh, stuff. Because this plays like most of it's an action movie. Mm-hmm. You know, it's about snipers and giant armies and and you know these two guys trying to take each other out based on uh, a non-fiction book you know really about uh vasily zaitsev who had something like 200 confirmed kills including like a dozen other snipers which is that's pretty hard it's not great and rachel weiss and the romance feels a little shoved in there even though i like her and she's really good in it but it's just because it's a war movie that's really good from a perspective we haven't seen before. And snipers are always interesting mm-hmm. and uh, Nazis are always bad. So <laughs> I mean, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's one true. of those movies where it's like, is this anyone's favorite movie? Like maybe, but yeah, it's definitely one you end that. up watching it and are like, huh? Yeah. That was really interesting. I've seen this in a lot That's... of dudes, standard definition DVD collection for sure. Yes. Oh yeah. Yes. hundred yeah. percent. This was one that a lot of people picked up. Yeah. That kind of reminds me of, I mean, I know I saw this when it came out, like mm-hmm. with my dad <laughs> for <laughs> sure. Um, but I, I did not go back and rewatch. I just didn't have time. It kind of reminds me though, the idea of like the perspective of Russia versus the Nazis is not something that we see very often, but it reminds me a lot of that movie, a woman, in Berlin, which is like such a huge bummer of a movie, but it's (laughs) kind of talks about it, you know, not the war part, but like the cleaning up the pieces afterwards and how rough that was. Yeah, it's good, but it's rough. It's like the Eastern Front was so much more brutal than the Western Front and the Western Front. I mean, come on, we we all remember the beginning of Saving Private Ryan. The Western Front is fucking bloodbath. And the Eastern Front was even worse. And it's interesting to see like that depicted because there's just so many more civilians and the soviets have no problem with throwing people into this war machine and everyone starves to death yay (laughs) and it's like even if like oh you're hailed as a hero of the soviet union you're still in the soviet union and um everyone's dead now and we don't have any money uh fuck yeah but the yeah i remember that opening scene of them just like okay every other guy gets a gun and everyone else gets like five bullets Mm. go <laughs> Most of you will live. I get, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, and this next movie, I am dying to rewatch, but I refuse to do it until I'm vaccinated and do it with Sarah's husband. Because we're going to go through. Hopefully, at some point, watch nothing but Steven Seagal movies together. Isaiah Washington. Oh, why and, would you do that to yourself? It, there is something comforting in just the unchangingness of all his movies, and okay. just get, you basically get to critique his his uh, partners in every movie. And this I feel is like a good this one. might be the last one that it's acceptable to watch. Yeah, I think you're right. It was. This is one of the last ones in theaters because, like, these were. We talked about Steven Seagal's debut in what, like, '87, and he made mm-hmm. like a movie a year. They're all the same, and they yeah, always we have one in, like next week. They're yeah, always number one at the box office for at least their debut. It's such as the case with uh, Isaiah Washington, Anthony Anderson, DMX, and uh, Steven Seagal and Exit Wounds. 
in the city's most corrupt precinct. How long you survive Kill him. depends on who you can trust. I need backup. Promise that would always be my brother's keeper. I keep my promises. Exit Wounds. This film is not yet rated. It'll be rated R. Exit <laughs> Wounds. I don't have a ton to say about this film. It's, it's kind of the last gasp of the Steven Seagal reign of traditional movie houses. Uh, and yeah. it, it was, you gotta give him credit because like when you look at like, I don't know, like the the number one reign of like Jim Carrey, like this is about the same length as like anybody else ruled the box office. It's bizarre, but Steven Seagal, a dependable, bankable movie star for over a decade. How about that? And the ladies are quiet. Go figure. <laughs> Go figure. I was trying to look up because there was, I, I got this confused with another one. I was double the checking. Keenan Ivory Wayne's was. one. Which he, I don't no, know. it was Half Past Dead. Half Past Dead. The Jaw yeah, Rule. Yeah, Half Past Dead because that's got Jaw Rule oh, in it. And I was yeah. like, is this the one in a prison? No, it's no. not the one in a prison. No, this is the one where he's he's a cop on the mean streets of Detroit, which looks so much like Toronto. Huh. <laughs> Weird. Wait a minute. There's a movie where Steven Seagal plays a cop? (laughs) Okay. Jokes aside, we can move into television. (laughs) Yeah. No, I mean, it's, yeah, I feel like this is the last one's like, Mm. this is, this is okay. It's pretty good. It's got, you know, a a whole deep bench of people. Bill Duke, Michael Jai White, love them. Mm. Jill Hennessy, awesome. Uh, It's directed by the same guy who did Romeo Must Die. So they're going for that sort of thing where it's like it's streets, but also there's a lot of like martial arts type things. And yeah. it's OK. But I think this is the, the last one I can say that about. Like you could watch this <laughs> on a Sunday afternoon while you're folding laundry and you'd have fun. And or yeah, you're absolutely hammered and like making fun of Steven Seagal. But Mo- it's it's not as funny as so much of his direct video stuff, which is yeah. such garbage. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, and, well, and he's a garbage person. So he is a garbage person. Yeah. So it's like, I, oh, I almost want to recommend it of like, it's because it's watchable, okay. but I can't because it's still Steven Seagal and DMX, man. With faint praise. Let's just put it that way. I'm really damning with faint praise on that. And then moving on to television. What the fuck world were we living in where the Chris Isaac show exists? That is so <laughs> goddamn weird. I remember watching it's these. It's so weird. It's such a strange show. I remember watching the sanitized version that they ran on VH1. Mm-hmm. And being finally seen on Showtime and sort of shocked by why are they doing? There's a lot of nudity happening around Chris <laughs> Isaac. And there's <laughs> a lot of there's three seasons of like 15 to 17 episodes each. Like yeah. this is not some like little flash in the pan show <laughs> on Showtime. Just bizarre that it existed. Feels like a fake show, honestly. When you talk about it, <laughs> you know. But I definitely remember watching it like late night on Showtime. I really want to get my eyes on it again just to see. I know that like some of that imagery has like sunk into my brain. I mean, because the the main thing that I remember, of course, is like the conceit of this woman that he talks to, who is kind of like his conscious in a way, his Jiminy Cricket sort of person, and she always just appears nude lying on a revolving circular bed and he kind of like goes to her and talks to her about like what's going on in his life and stuff and which is a really specific old san francisco reference oh because there's a a club called bimbo's 365 which is a big music venue but back in the day long time ago it was like a supper club and for some reason that was one thing that was there is a girl in a goldfish bowl illusion where they use these lenses so that this woman looks like she's 
a mermaid in this bowl, but really she's a lady sitting way over there. Mm. It's oh, like, wow. okay. Like, I didn't even know that. I live in San Francisco. I didn't even know that was a thing until, like, I was reading about the history of Bimbo 365 and was like, what are you doing, Chris Isaac? What? That's so confusing. It's, it's also confusing in that, like, you know, we were sort of lucky we knew who Chris Isaac was, given that his, his one sexy David Lynch music video, but... <laughs> He wasn't like a household name or anything. It's such a strange concept. Playing a fictionalized yeah. version of himself well, who we don't know anything enough. about. Yeah. I don't know. I just thought it was very, very strange. A guy who He's I... just such a specific person. You know, like he's rockabilly. Kind rockabilly of. loves Roy yeah. Orbison. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. He was big in my house. My parents really loved him a lot. Like the music. I loved the music video. Yeah, I'd really like to that get my eyes on so this show strange. again. Maybe, maybe let's see how it. I feel like it could be a fun, quirky watch, like a throwback. You know, well, get, get um, this never released on DVD, never. Yeah. Oh. And and so here, fingers crossed for a Paramount Plus debut for Showtime's oh. uh, mm-hmm. the Chris mm-hmm. Isaac Show. Fif- almost fifty episodes of surreal weirdness. <laughs> yeah, um, really, really weird. A show I did watch, but. I couldn't bring myself to rewatch it. The Job debuts starring Dennis Leary. But I think it's it's co-created by Peter Tolan, who co-created uh, Larry Sanders' show. And I think this is the begin. This is not the beginning necessarily, but like we're finally breaking out of that half-hour comedy that requires mm-hmm. a multi-camera sitcom, and it's being shot on location. And this is one of those things critics are like, "Yes, please, more yes. of this. A uh, little dirtier, a little scruffier, little edgier comedy." On was it ABC? And it's like it's canceled yeah. in the season. And here's a promo for The Job with Dennis Leary. I'm Dennis Leary, and I'm starring in The Job, a new show about a group of New York City detectives. Come here! Come here! Are you sure those guys are cops? We are dedicated professionals. Get me out of here! Man, you really suck! We never let our personal lives affect our work. Is he crazy? Nah, just quit smoking. And when it comes to good taste, we never cross the line. We don't even know where the line is. The Job, premiering March 14th on ABC. Viewer discretion is advised. Was, okay, this is a half-hour show. It yeah, kind of feels like an hour-long show. That's why um, it feels so strange, like how strange that, like, other than Sports Night, there, like, wasn't really any half-hour comedies without a laugh track, yeah. and, and let alone yeah, shot on location. Based on the, um, just the look of it, I kind of thought that it was going more towards, like, the practice Ally McBeal sort of you know, wait, with like an hour long, somewhere between, I mean, Ally McBeal is more of a straight out comedy. The mm. practice is definitely a drama with comedic elements to it, I think. I have a huge soft spot in my heart for Dennis me Leary. Too. I think it's the, the Irish in me. Um, yeah, I, he started, he started I the really... comedy album craze, like for my generation. Okay. Uh, with See, No I Cure never, for Cancer. I never really enjoyed him as a comedian, stand up comedian. Come on, obviously. he yells but, a lot. He, and he's sick of the bullshit. Oh, God. I remember <laughs> one of my, like, my little friend group in high school was obsessed with the I'm an Asshole song. It's so good. It's, <laughs> it's the first song I learned to play in guitar and still can. <laughs> Anyways, but I really love Rescue Me a lot. Like, it's mm. so stupid this, and so good. And this is like this a precursor is, to this that. This is totally like, this feels like the test run. Yes, this well, is like, Cop oh, Rescue okay. Me. And it has a lot of the same actors, too. So, I mean, I, he kind of yeah. just took his people and put, it in, put them in a fire department. I would basically. say it's a little more palatable, professional version of... Because the, the Rescue Me was an hour. And at yeah. its heart, it was a comedy, but then had bizarre and face-palmingly hilarious instances of drama. It was yeah. It's one of the stupidest shows I've ever enjoyed. But the job yeah. doesn't have any of that. Yeah. It's, just a, it's just a straightforward, not realistic 
comedy, uh, police procedural. And, yeah. and it's half, again, it's half an hour without commercials. You can eat these things in like 18 minutes. You can watch a season while you eat, you make and eat dinner. Uh, you can watch mm -hmm. the entirety of the job. But not mm -hmm. to shit on Rescue Me. Um, yeah, I love Rescue Me, and I do recognize it's 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 very silly, but it's mm -hmm. super. Like I really think it's a lot of fun for sure, and I just have really good memories of watching the, the it whole cast time in my life of the job is eventually migrates to Rescue Me. Yeah, <laughs> it, it's it's crazy, and also out this week on television, SNL. It's hosted by Julia Stiles with musical guest Aerosmith. It's not, I, I don't remember anything from this episode, sadly. Well. Because as you're talking about two white bread people yeah. on the show, what Fucking is there to remember? Corn pone, craft mac and cheese entertainers. No, I don't know. I don't think I was. I think this is at a period where I was going out on Saturday night. It was a very rare period. Ooh, la, yeah. la. This doesn't happen anymore. Mm -hmm. It wasn't happening in the '90s. I was going out, and when Comedy Central stopped rerunning them, like I missed like a generation of SNL uh, mm -hmm. as a result of that. Uh, an episode I did not miss of uh one of my favorite shows ever sarah's already shaking her head and so is diana the sopranos mm -hmm. um employee yeah. of the month i even Ooh. went back and read the description because i know the most notable thing about this mm -hmm. but uh yeah this is a tough one this is yeah. a tough one i went on uh talking terrific television specifically mm -hmm. to talk about this one that was not planned they're like would you like to come on and talk about the sopranos and i was like sure which one do you want to talk about next and like employee of the month and it's like i don't even have to look that up i uh, can see it in my head this is the episode where melfi is sexually assaulted and beaten by uh, a real real piece of shit and then it gets into the justice system failing her and now she understands why people go to people like Tony Soprano. And then there's the incredible tension of you just sitting there wanting to say, like, you know who this guy is. You know he's going to do this again. You you know he's not going to get punished for it. Please just say the words, Tony, I need a favor. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Just he, say, say it! He even says it. You got something you want to say to me? Yeah. And yeah. she does. Tony, <laughs> Tony is Chekhov's gun. Yeah. You just yeah. want, he is a loaded gun that you want her to pick up. And yes. The the tension of that is very interesting. I, but yeah, I mean, when I was prepping for this episode, Sam and I have been, you know, watching for fun The Sopranos as we go along each week. And I was like, do you want to watch this? And he was like, no, I never want to watch that episode ever again. And I was yeah. like, okay, good. Neither do I. Because it is very graphic. Yeah. Like, it, I... <sighs> it's, an un, it's an uncut rape scene. Yeah, and just, just from like, beginning to end. And and of all the things The Sopranos has done on television, this is the one that's, I don't know, the hardest to watch. Even even uh -huh. beating to death the pregnant stripper, which we'll talk about later. Mm. Um, there's just something yeah, so, un, un, like, just vile and unwarranted. And do you, I, I just like bringing this up in the context of a... Tastefully, though, because that's my big complaint when they show mm -hmm. sexual assault on screen is sometimes it is sexy looking yeah. like whether you try to or not there's some creep somewhere is getting aroused by this yeah. and uh, hello it's... game of thrones yeah I, I, it's that's... like yeah you mm, no and there is nothing sexy about this it is mm -hmm. played very dispassionately you know it's like we're watching it on a security camera and we we want to stop it and we can't mm -hmm. yeah and i think the other subplot though is pretty fun i think it's um getting payback for the stolen leg yeah, there's a lighter thing and all this stuff about like Melfi's ex-husband who's really upset about like how Italians are depicted in media and how that's it's just wrong. They think we're all a bunch of greasy Goombas and 
like he's more upset that like her attacker has an Italian last name. Like it'd be okay if he were a black guy or something. Like, oh my god, it's, there is a lot going on. It's not only Italian last name. It's 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 Lorraine Bracco's name in Goodfellas. J, J. Rossi. She's Janice Rossi. No, I don't. That's oh, that's that's the whore who lives in your. Oh, building. that is the whore who lives in the building. Yes, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Oh, uh, I didn't even think about that. Yeah. It is. In, in, I, I, it's one of the best episodes, which I God, I hate saying that, but mm. I mean, my one complaint is that she's obviously very traumatized by this, and she's beaten so badly that she tells people she was in a car accident, mm-hmm. but it sort of disappears. Like that's not yeah. a lasting thing for her character. I, I mm-hmm. think one of the things the Sopranos did very poorly was I find myself resenting this episode in this scene because it didn't go anywhere. Like her brief flirtation with alcoholism. It's just mm-hmm. like, that was a dumb plot point to bring up. Maybe we don't need to follow her outside of her yeah. interactions with Tony. And yeah. and just to go nowhere. And I, yeah, I find myself resenting this episode because it's one I don't want to rewatch again. I think that they, I think Melfi was a kind of a hard problem for the writers yeah. in a lot of ways because she was such a important part of the show and an important part of Tony's character. But it's very hard to... And she's she's the only get, recognizable person when the show started. She's like the well, biggest star of Sopranos. Get, in, get mm. into her background a lot without me just want, rooting for her to be with Tony in some sort of relation. <laughs> like in a like, there is a part of me that mm. wants that, and I do like it when they play with that a little bit on the show sometimes because sometimes the, the way that Tony and Melfi look at each other and, and some of their interactions, you do kind of think like. There's definitely a chemistry there and a spark there, but we don't know what it is. They don't know what it is. But they never really did her character. They never went 100% with her character, I felt like. It really took it to where they could Mm -hmm. have taken it, you know? And I think part of that was maybe a little bit of fear of, like, opening up a whole other part of the world that is not directly related to Tony's business. I like like her going to – think i just like her going to see peter bogdanovich as a therapist Me too. i like that but, but also too. like it is it she offers the flip side of the italian american like the mm-hmm. habitualized uh now part of the monoculture like is totally bought yeah. in on everything well, i think i don't think it's the flip side i think that she is a razor's edge from being in tony's world yeah. i mean i think it shows that she's she could do that she could be right there like and i think it's i don't know if that's on purpose or with her being in um Goodfellas, you know, we're already kind of envisioning it. But I mean, like, yeah, the way that she talks, the way that she deals with her family and everything, it's like, yeah, she could she could be Tony's wife or Guma or like she could be right there. She could be one of the friends' wives or whatever. The same restaurants. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Like she's part of that world without being part of that world. It's just really now is she is she almost part of that world or is the mafia almost part of ours? Mm. because she's a pretty average upper middle class person it's true yeah that's interesting i mean there are there are times where you do take like the the um carjacking scene that kind of takes you out of the world but shows you how integrated it is into the world you know it's everywhere the mafia is or whatever the mob so yeah i don't know i i think she's closer to it than than she would like to think that she is mm. And she and there's a part. I mean, there's a part of like they talk about it in like one of the first episodes is that with when she's talking to her therapist, they're he's like, you're kind of into this, yeah. like you kind of like this, <laughs> right? And she's like taken aback, but 
Yeah, she is kind of like I turned on by this. I just want to know more. I not can't necessarily not hear. sexually, <laughs> but probably sexually because hello, Tony. Turned on by it in in all the ways, basically. My sister yeah. and I were actually talking about the Sopranos, and we agree that like when you talk to like another person, and you're like, you ask them like, "Are you attracted to Tony Soprano?" If they say yes, then I know that I understand them on a on a certain <laughs> level. <laughs> Because if you think that Tony Serrano is attractive, then yeah, we can be friends because <laughs> you understand. Which just goes to tell you, men, a little bit of confidence makes up for being a bald, fat guy with bunny teeth. <laughs> bunny teeth? <laughs> he does. He has kind of bunny teeth. He's got huh. the two little buck teeth in front. <laughs> oh. Oh, we'll have to think about that. Maybe you might have Tom Cruise monotooth ruined me for James Kittleby. <laughs> Well, uh, moving into the the video games that came out in uh, 2001, March 12th to the 18th, a couple great Dreamcast ports, Unreal Tournament, and uh, one of my favorite games ever, Rolling Stock! Daytona USA is out. I love that game. It comes out for Dreamcast, and Onimusha Warlords is on PS2, but I feel like we talk about that on our Patreon video game episode of this show, where the Video Game Apocalypse boys team up and we go in-depth on every single game that came out every single week and month. A new episode right now. Check that out. You know what? Let's close out 2001 with No Sunshine by uh, DMX. A very, very 2001 cover of Bill Withers' <laughs> classic uh, Off of the Exit Wound soundtrack. But you know what? Stay right there because it's going to get even more Exit Woundy. What? In 2011. Yeah, I know. I'm wincing too. Ain't no sunshine in this song. Only darkness every day. Ain't no sunshine when it's on. Cause when it's on, you know it'll be gone every time. Cause we don't internet and all the ships at sea it's time for diana's classic corner we go even further back in time this week to see if there's anything worth a watching and for the week of march 12th through 18th a movie i would have recommended under any circumstances but i feel like has special circumstances now for some people who really like annie hall but don't like that nervous jewish fella that's in it well i want to talk about a different nervous jewish fella and a movie he made 40 years ago this week in 1981 called Modern Romance, starring, directed, co-written by Albert Brooks. We're actually going to be talking about another great Albert Brooks movie in a couple weeks here, and I'm very excited about it. And this one, though, I really want to recommend for people who like romantic comedies that aren't romantic comedies that are actually about something sort of deeper and Annie Hall is a great example of that, but there's a lot of reason to cancel Woody Allen. So... Let's talk about modern romance. It is also about a neurotic guy who gets in his own way in trying to have a relationship with a woman and is about self-doubt and jealousy and trying to be your best self and failing repeatedly. And it's also really freaking funny. So that's definitely my recommendation. Please dive into the works of Albert Brooks. He made four movies in a row that are all so funny and, and so just different. I mean, if you know him mostly as a voice actor, I think you'll be very surprised. He's not just Nemo's dad or Hank Scorpio. He's also a great writer, director, and actor. And I, I did not realize, fun fact, Stanley Kubrick loved this movie, which is weird because it is a romantic comedy. 
but he said that he'd always tried to depict jealousy. He, he wanted to make a movie about jealousy, and he ended up doing that with Eyes Wide Shut. But back in 1981, he, he didn't know how to do that and praised this <laughs> goofy little comedy uh, instead. So I'm trying to imagine Stanley Kubrick watching romantic comedies, and it's just the, the glowering he must have been doing. Anyway, modern romance, plus, honestly, the first four movies that Albert Brooks made, Real Life, This, Defending Your Life, and Lost in America, those are four absolute classics. I think you'll enjoy them. And that's it for this week. Stay classic. Coming in with Sail by AWOL Nation off of a megalithic symphony. I had no idea what this song was from other than memes um, <laughs> and Fleabag and, and Fleabag I just know it from when like a cat tries to jump and loses its legs and you know, Sail! Uh, Sail! <laughs> I had no idea what this was that's me being 10, 10 year anniversary of being behind in modern popular music but welcome to 2011 everyone uh, AWOL Nation should include you in new releases include an album called What Did You Expect from the Vaccines by the Vaccines Timing. Timely. Very timely. That needs to be playing at every vaccination Uh, site. Currently, where I am, we are in the throes of trying to get vaccines, and one of the resources is a couple states over at Walmart, and it doesn't quite know how... If you search for the vaccine in Walmart, it takes you to albums like this and (laughs) and things with the word vaccine in it and like clearly there needs to be some prioritization here oh sorry vaccines uh welcome home armageddon by funeral for a friend self-titled album by uh old land endgame by rise against and give the drummer some travis barker's solo debut interesting drummer travis barker i've always been kind of fascinated with that dude he not an original Blink-182 band member, but he's a punk rocker who's always embraced every other kind of music. And I remember during this period, you could just see him like drumming a little Wayne songs on his YouTube channel and hmm. making doing weird collaborations. Just kind of like, it was interesting and semi-inspiring. A lifer drummer finding out how to make drums interesting as popular genres change. Weird. That's the nicest thing I think anything anyone will say about Travis Barker for a while. Born This Way by Lady Gaga is number one, but we also have a very special uh, addition to the music segment of this episode, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductions, which will become less important as we move forward. But what an eclectic group. Yeah. It is a great group, though. Yeah. Alice Cooper, Neil Diamond, Dr. John, Darlene Love, and Tom Waits. I cannot imagine any of them hanging out together in heaven. And I don't... Ah, yeah. Are any of them dead? Hmm. Um, jo- Dr. John Dr. Passed, John's. unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. That's, uh, I, that's a nice mix of yeah. someone who's more... Totally. Alice Cooper is like more performance than music. Neil Diamond, deeply underrated songwriter, also cheesy as hell. Dr. John and Tom Waits, I definitely see them hanging out together. Yeah. And, uh, and Darlene Love, who's just one of my favorite people. Yeah. Uh, if you've seen 20 Feet from Stardom, you know all about her. Yep. And uh, that'll have to suffice for the news of 2011. But again, welcome to 2011. March 12th to the 18th, we got some movies to talk about. Who boy, I remember trying to rent this one, uh, A Separation. With payment I tried to rent it too, I remember. Mm-hmm. Well, we, 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 we rented this 
And this is in the stream. We could only see it via rental. Mm-hmm. I remember this was one of the few movies in 2011 you couldn't even get online, mm-hmm. and we could not get through it. It was too serious uh, for it's a date movie. Very, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, for a date movie. Yeah. Oh no. Yeah, it's not a good oh, idea. No. Oh no. <laughs> no, 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 no. But it is probably the best reviewed movie of 2011 that we're yeah. going to talk about. It's an Iranian film by Asghar Farhadi, and it's about a couple who are separating and how their daughter takes this. And then they have to get like a, a care worker comes in to help his father who has dementia. And then there's a lot of drama with the care worker and it turns into a legal drama for a while. And uh, yeah, it's ridiculously good. It's so well acted. It it feels like a documentary. It feels like you're just watching real people. Mm. But no, not a date movie. But yeah. it does. I mean, it's a downer, but it's a downer in that way that like it gives you a real satisfaction inside when you finish it. The feeling that you get when you watch like a really good movie. You're like, oh, that was a downer. But oh, damn. Yeah, it was yeah. very critically acclaimed. Like it, it was oh, nominated yeah. for a ton of stuff, right? Yeah, it was. Yeah. It was one of the only foreign language films nominated for best screenplay at the Oscars. Mm-hmm. That almost never happens. I believe it won foreign film, like by you know, it, oh, it was a lock. Yeah, it's. I, I think it's got like a hundred percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Wow. It is by far the most critically acclaimed movie we're going to talk about for quite a while. Uh, but there's a lot to love about. Uh, I, I remember really kind of digging Cedar Rapids, even at the time. Like, um, yeah. this is a low key comedy. I don't see them. I don't see people tripping over themselves to make nowadays. Even, and I'm saying this in 2011. Sigourney Weaver, Kurtwood Smith, Isaiah Whitlock, and Hayes, John C. Riley, and Ed Helms. Just like a struggling, sad businessman comedy as they all attend yeah. a annual conference in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. And uh, Ed Helms is wonderful in it. I, I, I thought this movie was pretty good. Yeah, I was mm-hmm. expecting... I think more of a Judd Apatow movie. Yeah. And I ended up being really charmed by it, that it's more like an Alexander Payne movie. And then yeah. I saw, Oh, he produced it. And I was like, ah, I did not know that. But Yeah. That it's, you know, it's more about the characters and there, there is some wackiness and goofiness, but it ends up being very, I think I saw a review that used the word genial. And I was like, mm. that's a really good word. <laughs> also, I've forgotten how much I like Anne Heche. She is so charming. Really? Uh-huh. It's really adorable. I feel yeah. the same about Ed Helms. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of at, I think at this point, I was kind of at peak Ed Helms saturation point with The Office and the whatnot. Hangovers. But this is like, there were so many movies like this, though, mm-hmm. in this like little category during this time, which like not quite mumblecore, but like yeah. one step above of movies that were chock full of really talented Yeah awesome people that were like gently funny you mm-hmm. know like mm-hmm. yeah. friends with kids and drinking buddies small, and, small comedies yeah jeff who lives yeah. at home and my sister's sister like all, all these like little i mean fucking duplasses have their little fingers <laughs> in it pretty much everything i just named so that probably explains a lot of it but yeah i really i mean i like all of those movies i just named so i always enjoy a little a little comedy like this okay. mm-hmm. And then I I did not see this, and I've always rolled my eyes at it, which I realized is not totally fair because I thought it was coincided with Matthew McConaughey's decision to shill for Lincoln Cars. But <laughs> but uh, look at this no. cast: William H Macy, Brian Cranston, uh, Bob Gunton, Francis Fisher, Michael Pena, John Leguizamo, Josh Lucas, Ryan Philippe, Marissa May, and Matthew McConaughey, the Lincoln lawyer. Big cast. <laughs> For attorney Mickey Heller. Counselor, we had a deal. It used to be all about the money. Did you want to count it? Just did. 
On March 18th. No deals, no bargaining. I'm innocent. It's all about the truth. You got one client in jail for what your other client did. What you gonna do, Mick? This is no what? I don't trust you! I'm trying to make it right! Starts March 18th. Matthew McConaughey kind of seizing the reins on his career. And, uh, yeah, he, I just heard him on Mark Maron. He was on there a couple months ago, and he kind of talked about this is the movie that kind of took him out of the romantic comedy, romantic comedy, yeah, uh, like milk. space, and put him in the place where he can do things like Dallas Buyers Club and fucking yeah, scary he, HBO show. He started turning down <laughs> uh, uh, True Detective. And so he started turning turning down specifically all the romantic comedies he was only exclusively being cast in and people thought the novelty of casting this guy who's usually a romantic lead in dirty gritty roles and it's like kind of how i know him now mm-hmm. with the exception of interstellar which i watched the other night and he is just he is like the narrator of that movie that has no narrator he never stops talking that movie is wonderful <laughs> it's so weird Oh, well, we can't forget about one of the craziest, worst movies I've ever seen, Serenity. I have not, not seen that boy. yet, but I know the ending, oh, and I boy. can't wait. Uh, it is so crazy. <laughs> I was I was pretty mad at them uh, back when it was okay to like Joss Whedon for taking that title, but Ooh. yeah, now it's, it's, it's special for another reason. Oh, boy. Serenity. Oh, boy. All right, Blazer. so Lincoln Lawyer is based on a book by Michael Connolly. Mm-hmm. Is that right? The guy who created Bosch? Mm-hmm. The character, Bosch. Um, this cop is out of control! Bosh! He lives on a boat. I know. I'll never <laughs> forget. I'll never forget how much we loved Bosh because Tyler and I saw it every day streaming Bosh and everything. We're like Bosh, we want your badge on the desk. And like we would just make fun of him. Like after a year of that, we're like, let's see what this really is. And it was exactly all of that. <laughs> and it was so comforting just to like laugh along. Like I bet him he's not going to get along with the captain or his new partner. She's a woman. I wonder if they'll sleep together. All happens. It's fucking great. <laughs> Sorry, Kip. Lincoln Lawyer. Anyway, yeah. So Lincoln Lawyer. So he's uh, he's a sleazy lawyer who doesn't have an off. He works out of his his Lincoln Continental, which. I was confused about the title until I found that out. I was like, oh, yeah. it's like, because he's from Illinois or he's going <laughs> to defend Abe Lincoln or. Loves that what? They Might Be Giants album. Was, okay. He works out of a Lincoln Continental. Got it. Mm-hmm. And then he gets embroiled with the, so there's mystery and this sleazy rich guy wants him to get off on this murder charge. And then it's like, oh, he's involved with this other murder for this other client who went to jail and who really did it. And everyone's stabbing each other in the back. And yeah, I mean. For like detective lawyer thrillers, again, it's like it's it's a light recommend, but it's mm-hmm. like, but it's pretty good. Like that's the theme of this week is everything is not yeah. spectacular, but solid, pretty dang solid. Like yeah. Oh, yeah. I can watch that. Yeah, this is this is kind of the perfect movie to watch with your parents. <laughs> you like come home for the weekend, and you guys are like, oh god, unchallenging, no sex scenes. Um. Yeah, but like still pretty entertaining. And yeah. I mean, to be fair though. If you watch this with your parents, be prepared to identify every actor that comes on screen for your parents because every <laughs> actor is going to look familiar to them, but they will not be able to remember their name. Oh, God, <laughs> so you're going to have to get your mind right about it. <laughs> Boy. Oh, or maybe I'm from? just on my experience. Yeah, exactly. I'll, I no, can tell I'm you where he's from, but I'll just say he's, he's from uh, Million Dollar Baby, the only movie you've seen with Michael Pena. That's, <laughs> that's the one. Yeah. No, I'm looking through. Yeah, Shea Wigga, Michael Paré. Yeah, those are Trace Atkins. Is that that singer, or was yeah. he on the thing? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> like Bob Gunton. What is he from? Um, every movie. 
that's ever been made. <laughs> like that guy's in yeah, everything. He was in everything. Warden from Shawshank. That's the one yeah, I always go to. Go. Everyone goes, Oh yeah. Oh. Yeah, yeah. He's the bad institutional guy in pretty much every movie that has an institution. Yeah, Lincoln Lawyer. It's like it's like like enemy at the gates for me. It's just sort of like, well, that was fun. So I guess I'm recommending it. I don't have a lot to say. Like, it's fine. I got something to say. It is an admission. And I, I've mm-hmm. never, it's something I'd never admitted on a podcast before. And after 13 years, it's very rare to get one of these. I remember learning how to spell Lincoln and I would pronounce it Lincoln. And mm-hmm. I've always done that in my head ever since. So that I've said it to myself, the Lincoln lawyer, a thousand times. And I just wanted to come out and say it. I cannot not think about it like that. And it was all because of how much trouble I was having spelling Lincoln when I was five. Lincoln. Wow. Lincoln. So brave. I know. I know. So brave. Not all heroes were. Thank cakes. you for sharing your story. Yeah, with there us. are many like us. Many. I want to join this club. Do we have meetings on Wednesday? <laughs> that is how I did that too. I always do. I'm that. not kidding. Yeah. I learned how to spell Wednesday because it had NES in the middle and I was Nintendo obsessed. <laughs> yeah. I that yeah. And well, I learned how to spell Nintendo because it had ten in the middle. It helped me out a lot when I was seven, I swear. Oh, I'm the dumbest person hosting a podcast. But I have. Well, no, no. <laughs> not as long as Joe Rogan's still out there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, hey. Again, um, I'm not going to tolerate anybody slandering Broper on this podcast. He, <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> Can't wait for his interview with the royal family. <laughs> um, but uh, I just, I, I don't know who told me the name Bropra, but that still cracks me up, man. Uh, fucking Bropra. Uh, a movie I have seen several times. Mm, Sigourney Weaver, Jeffrey Tambor, Jane Lynch, Bill, yeah, Bill Hader, Seth Rogen, uh, Kristen Wiig, Jason Bateman, Nick Frost, and Simon Pegg. I, I, oh, Paul, Paul, movie Paul. Two grown men. I cannot believe we're going to see Area 51. One green man. Uh, hi. I'm Paul. <laughs> You're gonna probe us. Why does everyone always assume that? From the Earthling who directed Superbad. I really need your help. I want E.T. back in his cage ASAP. On Earth. Break it down, boys. Everyone can hear you scream. <laughs> She's going. She's fine. Catch me. And that's Jenga. Paul. Rated R. Have, have, have we seen Paul? Is Paul a movie we've seen? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I yep. saw it, but I don't really remember that much. Is it? It's it's what I don't get about it. It has it has every ingredient I could ever want in in a movie, and it doesn't feel good. And it feels like a I saw a reviewer call it a more accessible version of like Hot Fuzz and Shaun of the Dead, and like inaccessible. What the fuck yeah. are you talking about? But but like to me, it feels like I had it written down as like a sellout film from all of my favorite people. It's like the it's yeah. it's Edgar Wright's crew via the Apatow lens. And um, is it the super bad director, Greg Matola? Yeah. This none of it is bad. It's just thoroughly unremarkable. And it's yeah. I mean, it accessible is a good word for it. I mean, there are lots and lots of goofy references, mm-hmm. especially to sci-fi stuff, but they're easy references. You know, there's yeah. a certain amount of normies could watch this compared to maybe hot fuzz where Spaced. they don't point out the references they're just kind of there it's, it, it's written it's written by simon Pegg and nick frost I, I i didn't know that when i saw it but it's it's like the one thing they've written together without edgar wright and mm. we don't talk about it it's just i find that strange yeah well mm. i do find it strange because it's not like it's a disaster no, it wasn't no, a box office bomb it's not like horrible the whole way through i mean his you know it's generally 
pretty damn funny. It's a road movie that sends up a lot of sci-fi stuff. You, you know, your close encounters, your ETs, very specifically a reference a lot. And, you know, it's, again, pretty gentle humor. Everyone's just frantically trying to deal with the situation of what do you do when there's a little green alien? And, and you try to hide him and you're trying to take him out and he's very outspoken because he sounds like Seth Rogen. And yeah, it's just fun. I but. I don't know why it doesn't quite stick to the ribs the same way as, yeah. as yeah. the Cornetto trilogy does, because like everything is there and I like it. I don't love it. I'm not sure why. Yeah, I, I don't get it either, because like um, I love the Cornetto trilogy so, so much and so strongly. I guess that probably has a lot to do with it. And usually those movies are shot in a style or mm-hmm. have a tone where this like almost doesn't have a tone. It's just like a Hollywood movie. I think part of it too is that the Cornetto trilogy has a lot of surprises. Yeah. Yeah. Like there are lots of things that are just like a a surprise delight, you know, sort of joke out of nowhere Mm -hmm. or, you know, someone comes out of nowhere and it's like, Oh my God. And I don't remember that being present here. There are deeper themes in all the Cornetto trilogy films too. If it's, you know, taking responsibility or growing up or massacring a town, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Friendship, yeah. always friendship. Accepting yeah, your stepdad and then murdering yeah. him. Uh, yeah. yeah, there's deeper stuff going here, and I guess there is sort of just yeah the the friendship stuff. I mean, yeah, I mean it's a recommend definitely mm-hmm. if if people slept on it, um, or if they found for some reason Shaun of the Dead like inaccessible because it was too British or something. Yeah, maybe they'll like this more. It is it is an American yeah an Amer- a thoroughly American movie, but yeah. still written by two Brits who like I have watched everything they've ever done dozens of times and i just don't get why this movie doesn't click for me mm-hmm. uh, but i don't I, again not a not a hate not a not recommend it's just like it's just so bizarre i feel like if i, I could i could meet a cornetto trilogy fan and tell them this movie exists and they'll they'll never have heard of it because yeah it just doesn't get it's not on the lips of many comedy fans and i i can't put my finger on why yep and, uh, yeah paul, uh, paul uh, it's fun i like you it, again with the theme of the the whole show the most it's fine movie I have ever seen in my entire <laughs> life. Yep. I am... And Robert De Niro going coast to coast. Yeah. True. Y- yes. Yeah, uh, we got him too. You got him in too. There is, again, nothing exceptional about this, but I, I, I had a great time with this movie. Uh, Robert De Niro, Abby Cornish, Bradley Cooper. Number one in the box office this week, Limitless. You know how they say that we can only access 20% of our brain? NZT lets you access all of it. What if there was a pill? that could give you everything. 12,000 to 2.3 million in 10 days. I'm baffled by this guy. But everything. Have you asked yourself what you're gonna do when you run out? You'll die. Comes with a price. Worth the risk? What would you do? Limitless. Weird. Bradley Cooper barely talks in that promo. Uh, I know, and they kind of gave away a spoiler. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That the drug is basically addictive, and if you stop, you'll die. And mm-hmm. so there were actually a lot of surprises in this for me that I was not expecting. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was one that it becomes a pretty solid metaphor for drug addiction. Yes, like doing meth or cocaine, something that's like, and now my brain's awake and I'm doing stuff, and it's just, and then there's the come down, and mm-hmm. now you're dependent, and now if you don't get it, you're gonna fucking die. My, I was telling Sam because we watched this together, and it definitely gave me flavors of Train Spotting. Yeah, like a, the Adderall yeah. generation kind of. And, and because the, the narration. I mean, this is the narration, yeah. the way it's shot. Like so many of like huh. when they're on drugs, the zipping through all New York City and everything. And to me, it was like a metaphor for Adderall. 
which is mm. like the performance enhancing drug of choice when I was in college yeah. for a lot of my peers. And I liked it. I thought it was a fun, fun movie. And, yeah. and yeah. I know not it's, as shallow as I thought it was going to be. Honestly. I know it's pretty mm-hmm. stupid and like not important, but I've watched this like three times and like, I really don't hate this. And it, it is it, I, I, like, I was reading some of the reviews of it. I just, I didn't, I saw it later. I didn't connect this as Bradley Cooper had kind of a slow rollout as an actor. And this is yes. sort of yeah. his first, yeah. he is front and center and he is narrating this whole fucking film. He's not a bit player. He's not one of the hangover guys. He is a star and he's like very charismatic. I did not think Michael Ian Black's partner from what hot American summer would emerge as one of our, <laughs> our, our biggest leading men. But like, uh, yeah, he's fucking great. I really like Brad. I, I'm happy yeah. to say I really like Bradley Cooper all the time now. Yeah, well, mm. I think that was like the big surprise for me is, I mean, this is a high concept movie. It's fine. Mm. I've also already seen Lucy, which comes out in 2014. These would make a great double feature because they're yeah. both based on the idea of you only use blah, blah, percent of your brain. What if you could use all of it? And none of that's true, by the that's way. Yes, true. it's all stupid. Then, that's why it's stupid. And then both movies take the idea and they both go visually bug nuts. Yeah, yeah. And... Yeah, they both do. And I I was so surprised by how visually crazy this movie gets yeah. mm-hmm. that I was like, oh, yeah, OK, no, you're 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 kicking everything up a notch instead of it's not just like you take the pill and then you see like a bunch of equations float over someone's head and they're like, I know everything now. <laughs> you know, there's there's a slower rollout and they explain like how these things work and the different connections of realizing like, oh, no, I saw that book when I was in mm-hmm. college once. And so but now I can pull that up. It was there the whole time. I just couldn't pull it up before. And yeah, it's it has a couple too many endings. Yes. That's kind of a one complaint. Like, it seems like it's over and you're like, oh, that's a good ending. And then there's another one. You're like, oh, a little dark ending. And then they're like twisted again. You're like, oh. Are you done? Are you, are you done now? <laughs> are the hobbits yes. back in the Shire? Are we done? Stop That's killing so Dennis Hopper on the subway train. Speed was already over. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, Bradley Cooper is someone I've, I've always liked, not just because he's from, you know, my hometown. Shout out to Jenkintown, Pennsylvania. Oh. But this movie in particular, because he has really blue eyes. Yeah. And this movie is constantly lighting them. So it's very piercing. And it's like you get the intensity that his brain is working super, super fast just by the way he's lit and shot to, to highlight them. They really pop. And it's like, that's clever. Good for you. <laughs> and this, yeah, uh, I ended up being a lot of fun. I, I yeah. was really, uh, I watched it last night. I didn't want to, but it was like, well, it's number one. I might as well. And it was like, well, that was fun. I okay. also like, too, that it kind of becomes a little bit of a running joke on The Office for a little while. <laughs> like the people watching Limitless, like a mm. lot. It's a, it's such a silly title. <laughs> I know. Yeah. I think that, didn't they try to make a TV show? They did make it a one season like... TV show um, that Bradley Cooper was on and helped oh, produce. Huh? Yeah, yeah. Bradley Cooper can't say enough. Just watch Star is Born. Always astonished by his oh, rocket raccoon. Hell. So good. I love that movie. <laughs> I, can... I was so primed to hate that movie because I've seen every fucking version and rip off and. Mm-hmm. Damn, that's good. And his yeah. again, his Rocket Raccoon performance is like I can never hear a a, a hint of Bradley Cooper in his Rocket Raccoon. Same not, here. Not a, not I always no. forget that that's him. Yep, very good. And yep. I, you, you can hear a little well, bit of it in Star Is Born when he gets like real drunk. Yeah, <laughs> I I feel like since we talked about John Hamm and getting mad at him last week for being a handsome person who can do comedy, <laughs> we have to yell at Bradley Cooper a little bit. That's fair. Like, how dare fair. you, sir? Yeah. What, what is that? Uh, Zach Galifianakis deleted scene of, from Between Two Ferns is like, do, do you think dire- you directing a movie will open up the door for other hot idiots? It's one of the greatest <laughs> questions ever asked. Um. <laughs> oh 
my god, I love that so much. Oh man. Uh, ah, speaking of Zach G. Yeah, yeah. I was I had to piece together recently this is a reoccurring sketch. It is oh. so fucking funny. And there are three it's versions so of this. Funny. And I, I hope it goes in dialogue because I want to play this for more than a minute. It makes me laugh so much. The joke really in in, in You haven't more... even explained where you're coming from with this. SNL this week, Zach Alphanakis News with our guest Jesse J. Yes. That's a great that's a weird pairing, but I like it. But uh it, it's it's also a good nature joke because it's like they're parodying the promotion of Kings of Comedy, but these obviously aren't Bernie Mac or Steve Harvey they're making fun of. It's one of their funniest recurring sketches, the uh well, what? I think they're parodying Kings of Comedy and Blue Collar Comedy together because yeah. the the sketch is the original Kings of Catchphrase comedy, yes. and really, blue collar <laughs> comedy is way more of a catchphrase. Fucking, here's your sign. Yeah, you might be a redneck. I'm, t- I'm telling you, they 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 they, they, they sh- it looks like uh, original Kings of comedy, and they're making all uh-huh. these dumb catchphrase comedians, which is like they're parodying people who ne- in the '80s who never even existed, and that's what I that's why I think it's it's so pleasant. It doesn't hurt at all. It's just an utterly pleasant sketch. You need to watch it. To see Zach Galifianakis's face when he goes to his catchphrase, which is only an air horn. Yes. <laughs> but, but, but it's all he does is blow into that. I'm going to play this for like a minute because it really fucking makes me laugh. I'm sorry, everyone. It's the original Kings of Catchphrase comedy tour. The four kings of catchphrase are back, and they're going absolutely crazy with David Beef Jelly Winfield. So my buddy Jimmy said, hey, man, you want to go to the Waffle House? And I looked at him and was like, Made from no waffles. Croatian import, Goran Funky Boy Bogdan. I go to your Sonic restaurant, I order a plate of Dobrozeki. They tell me the washroom is that way. Ooh, Funky Boy! <laughs> Slappy Pappy! Oh man, if a Dracula is chasing you, turn around and trip the bits! Slappy Pappy, wait, and Pete Airhorn Schultz. <laughs> the Kings are back, and they're dusting off all your old favorite bits, like eating Dookie. You ever come home and catch your wife eating Dookie? <laughs> I just like. I wish you could just keep going because then they like bring on all the friends of, and oh god, it's so. Good. It's so good. Maybe I can maybe I can skip to it. Oh, here we go. Yes, I I love this sketch so much. The The kings are back. Phrase the Lord. That is one of my favorite. (laughs) Phrase the Lord. The kings are back, and this time they brought friends. Barry the plumbing gentleman. Not in my bait shop. Mike, insert joke here, Henry. Idaho. Insert joke here. Chip, I'm single, Fenny. Noah, yeah. I'm single. Boston Powers. Do I make you horny, baby? <laughs> Dr. Velociraptor. <laughs> Addie Newsflash Sweeney. Newsflash, I'm crazy. <laughs> White Bernie Mac. Y'all bunch of some of my bitches. <laughs> some of my bitch. And of course, Fur Coat Rhonda. Of course I can afford gas. It's so good. It's so, it's so good. And it Boston was, Powers. Boston Powers. So I make you hottie. <laughs> I'm stealing that, and I'm going to say it so much that I get shot. Please, 
watch the clip oh if you God. can find it because Every oh. person has the perfect costume yeah. also for whatever Jason type of Jason Sudeikis is, right? is white Bernie Mac in like Oh my god. <laughs> in a bright yellow suit. It's so great. I needed uh, that. Also also this week, Parks and Rec has the episode Harvest Festival. And is this the episode I'm thinking of? It's this here. Is, it's here. Yes, it's, here. it's finally here. I mean, this is like the pinnacle of everything that the Parks and Rec crew have been working for for the first half of this season and really cements Adam Scott's role, I think, on the show. And I read that Rob Lowe is actually not in this episode because he was only originally supposed to be on the first six episodes mm-hmm. of the show. And then they just brought him back after this episode. They were like, shit. He's handsome and funny. Damn it again. (laughs) Boiled again. This is one of my favorite clips from the show where Joan Calabezzo is interviewing Leslie and trying to sabotage the Harvest Festival. Over in this booth, Indiana basketball legend Larry Bird's 84-year-old Aunt Tilda will be signing autographs for two hours on Thursday. You got Tilda? Yeah. Oh. We got Tilda. (laughs) But the real coup is over there. Lil Sebastian. You kidding me? You got Lil Sebastian? See for yourself! Oh, wow, he is so adorable! Thank you, Joan. Lil Sebastian isn't bad either. Tom! How are you? Good Good to see you. Hold on a second. Did you get your breasts done? You look amazing. This is Little Sebastian's <laughs> debut. One of the best reoccurring jokes is obviously the town's fascination with Little Sebastian, yes. and then Adam Scott's characters not understanding why everyone loves Little. He's like, "Yeah, it's a cute horse, I yeah. guess." But- it's a miniature horse, but yeah, how is it any better than another miniature horse? Yeah, and exactly. Everyone That's- else can see it because he's like five thousand candles in the wind. <laughs> It's one of the best lines ever. God damn it. But also, one of my other little favorite reoccurring jokes is the relationship between Aziz Ansari's character and Joan Calamezzo. Like, he's always sucking up to her. She's always a little bit horny for him. Like, they're always, they have such a fun (laughs) rapport together that you've definitely seen before in your real life. And it's Joan Calamezzo is one of my favorite side characters, played by Mo Collins. So, so funny. I feel like I know and have worked with a bunch of Joan Calamezzo. I can imagine. I think, yes. It's like it's not quite wine mom, is like, but it's like slutty wine mom, like sloppy wine mom. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Who thinks she's twenty five? So it's kind of like having a cool mom who's also sloppy and also a wine mom. I, you she's a, just her own thing. Why am I trying to define it? You had all this time to set me up with someone. Unbelievable, Diana. Uh, <laughs> and also, I guess that the same night, possibly yes. a, a half an hour later, Thirty Rocks Queen of Jordan. such a good episode this is basically 30 rock takes a break as a show and we get to see a special episode of queen of jordan tracy jordan's wife's reality television program that is basically real housewives and it's shot just like real housewives with like all the chirons and the like whisper talking about people and there's a fight and people throw wine in each other's faces and Mm -hmm. i mean as a housewives fan i'm super into it and then as 30 rock fan i'm also super into it and also as a Titus Burgess fan, I'm also super uh, into it. Defuan. Um, so, that was Defuan. the first place so many people must have seen him. And he makes yes. such, he's so great that he ends up on Kimmy Schmidt. I mean, it's like, let's just make Defuan uh, give him his own show. Yeah. <laughs> it's so good. And so I actually pulled a clip. It's actually part of the end credits of the episode, but it basically is all the characters from the Queen of Jordan reality show doing their catchphrases, which is, you know, how every episode of <laughs> Real Housewives opens up, and it's just fantastic. 
I'm Angie. I think elegance and attitude are the same thing. And I have IBS. Oh! I'm Defuan, and I just want to be accepted for who I am. A sexual maniac. Hey, I'm Portia. I don't care what anyone says. I keep them 3D glasses. I'm Randy. With an I. My ex-husband's new girlfriend is cheating on him. With me. Do you have any meth? Or meth? It's my way. Till payday. Uh, is this where she pronotes that her new single, My Single is Dropping, is dropping? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that makes me happy. Oh. And it always reminds me of Macy Gray's dress. Do you remember that she wore? Mm-hmm. That's, man. This is like single drop in and like yes. a date. Yeah, yeah. Yep. And oh, I was just looking. I totally forgotten about finding about Jenna's website, Jenna's side. i totally forgot about that oh god i i I keep slowly re-watching through 30 rock and then i get distracted because there's always so much so many other things to watch but i'm I'm also kind of glad that i'm like parsing it out like two at a time Mm -hmm. because each one is so goddamn good i zoomed through it just a couple of weeks ago i'm kind of sad that i did it so fast Oh gosh, and it's the one where Susan Sarandon finally shows up as the uh, the teacher that <laughs> seduced Frank when he was a kid. Yeah, I want to give her an award. I haven't seen a movie that she's great in in ten years, but she's been the greatest guest star on oh ten billion shows, and she's Search yeah. Party. Search Holy Party, shit. Louis, uh, Rick and Morty. Rick and Morty. Did you see when, God, I miss Nathan for you so much, when he didn't oh. think he'd have any anecdotes to say, so he just brought a silent Susan Sarandon out with him on Jimmy Kimmel, and she just sits there <laughs> the entire time. She gets it, Susan Sarandon rules, I think, where we have the same taste in television shows. Ugh. Um, and then moving over to video games of 2011. Again, we'll go way more in depth on patreon.com slash laser time with the video game of Oculus Boys. But it's the 10th anniversary of one of my favorite titles ever, God Eater Burst. Um, <laughs> Yikes. It's a great There's title. There's a colon there. God Eater. Mm-hmm. God Eater Burst. Burst. It's a remake. Hardcore <laughs> Uprising, uh, terrible title, but it is a new Contra game, and it is excellent. Uh, Okami Din, the one and only Okami sequel directly for the Nintendo DS, so like it's kind of lost, but it was... Review it reviewed okay, not as well as Okami. Homefront, not to be confused with the Jason Statham movie that people on Netflix seem to like. Total War Shogun 2 is out, and uh, Matt Allen would kill me if I didn't mention Yakuza 4 is out mm-hmm. this week. And you can check that out on patreon.com slash laser time, including a bunch of really great content, commentaries, new episodes of uh, Bonus Time, and 30 2010 games. Man, it's there's a lot happening this week. So if you feel like supporting your friends, you know, you got your tax returns back. Come on, patreon.com slash laser time. Five bucks. Do it. Don't don't ask your significant other. Just do it. Die, where can people find you at? They can find me on Twitter at listenernerd, L-E-C-I-N-E-N-E-R-D, or follow the show at 302010podcast, 302010podcast. And coming up next week, <sighs> which one is more fake, the Ninja Turtle costumes or Vanilla Ice? We'll find out. Ooh, baby! Uh, I can't wait to be the only one who watches this, <laughs> but I will. I'll try. I'll, I'll try. This was the movie I was like, I'm out. I'm going to go watch Class Action <laughs> when I was a kid. Yeah. Yeah. I figured it's oh, much. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. I'm kind of curious because I don't think I've ever actually seen it. So yeah. I'll give it a try. Uh, I can't right. wait. I can't wait. Uh, very exciting. Ninja. Ninja. But with, with the plugs out of the way, 
we go through who died during this period and who was born. Die, who died this week? Lots. Wow. So you lots of people. Oh, yeah. We didn't have so much last week, so they saved them all up for this week. Let's start in 1991 is when we lost Howard Ashman, who was the lyricist for the Disney Renaissance, mm-hmm. Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, Little Shop of Horrors. He was only 40. Uh, he died of AIDS. And um, it was, uh, well, we'll get to it eventually, but uh, his partner will pick up his Oscar for Beauty and the Beast. And that was kind of a landmark moment of like, oh, we're recognizing his partner. That's awesome. Then in 2001, we lost John Phillips of the Mamas and the Papas. He was 65. If you're looking for someone to cancel, oh my God. (laughs) Fuck that guy. Fuck that guy. I love Monterey Pop and I love the Mamas and Papas, but fuck that guy in particular. Okay. All right. I have, a, uh, I have a wiki to go through. You're going to be kind of shocked. I guess I'll just tell you. So he got his daughter into drugs. Mm-hmm. They did drugs together. Um, he didn't really mind when she fucked Mick Jagger, and I don't know if she was even legal. And um, then they carried on an affair, he and his daughter. What? Yeah. Mackenzie Phillips. Look it up. Okay. Yeah, because they were so on drugs. And yeah, boundaries. None. Drugs. Bad. Fuck that guy. Okay, okay. I can't believe I want to wash this taste out of my mouth with more death. But <laughs> Well, we got this guy. We should be happy he's gone. Uh, also, in 2001, we lost Henry Lee Lucas, the serial killer. He was 64. He claimed like 100 dead bodies, but it's probably more like 9 or 10. But uh, he was a truly horrible person. Mm-hmm. So I'm glad he's gone. And then uh, Morton Downey Jr., who is 68. We can blame a lot of trashy tabloidy television on him, honestly, but... Uh, and, uh, uh, conservative lies. He was shown to yeah. be... He was he was eventually real to be a fraud and a charlatan, but um, mm-hmm. he essentially created yelling, angry white people on television, bitching about how the world doesn't work. And, and yeah. once his shtick stopped working, he had to make it up and got caught and was disgraced and not allowed in the air again. I, I'm trying to remember yep. the name of the documentary. Evocateur. Yeah. It's excellent. And then uh, also in 2001, we lost Robert Ludlum, who was 73. He wrote the the Bourne books. <laughs> Robert Ludlum's like, why am I, can I die <laughs> the next week so I do not have yeah. to be with these guys, these assholes? With the worst. <laughs> In the 2011 deaths, yeah, we're still going. Uh, these are all nice people. I'll start with Michael Gow, who is 94. He's a British actor. You probably know him as Alfred from the Michael Keaton Batman movies. He had been in a trillion things going way the fuck back. Warren Christopher, 85, who's a former Secretary of State. And Nate Dogg, who is only 41. <sighs> Series of strokes, then a heart attack at 41. We were just talking about him on another podcast. Like, there has to be a solo Nate Dogg album out there. And let us not forget, he is the one who says... Smoke weed every day. It is not Snoop Dogg. It is always put in his mouth. That is Nate Dogg's line. Smoke yeah. weed every day. Yeah, I was reading up on Nate Dogg and found out, like, he did put out a couple albums on his own, but mostly he just wrote and guested on great songs for other people. That's very that nice of you, Nate Dogg. It's like, now nah, Warren G would do this one better. I'll give it to Warren G. <laughs> anyway, uh, with the deaths out of the way, you want to talk about birthdays? Birthdays. But birthdays. Oh, birthday is a doodly doo. We have birthday buddies, but I thought they might be too hard to guess. So let's just give a shout out to March 12th. Turning 75 will be both Liza Minnelli and Frank Welker. Wow. Wow. (laughs) 
See, I couldn't do Frank Welker because he is in literally everything. And kind of a recluse, and he's the one he's the person I want to hear from the most. He's Scooby, he's Fred, he loves he loves doing Scooby voices, and he's constantly animal voices. Abu and yep. Aladdin and Santa's little yeah, helper. Anytime and the there's a monkey, even in Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yep. Yeah, he does he does a ton of animals and uh, uh I think about twenty times Santa. Oh, I'm Santa's voice. Very comforting, Frank Welker. <laughs> so, for the actual quiz this week, we have someone, their movies would be too much of a good boy, so we're going to talk about character names. Oh. But starting out with turning 70, born March 17th, 1951 in Springfield, Massachusetts. Uh, his dad was also an actor who played the record store owner in the original Monkey's pilot and then got cut. Mm. He later owned a minor league baseball team. Kurt Russell. Son of a bitch! <laughs> There's a whole documentary about his dad. I watched it. Um, there is, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Sarah wow, is so that's pissed. Two weeks in a row where you just how was I not going to get Kurt Russell? He's he's played two guys named Whitey. You named you get into Dexter Riley, and uh, I would have yes. gotten it. And, uh, okay, all right. So, well, let me finish this. So, I, where I Jack thought you Burton. were going to get it was uh, he also played Double A ball, including second base for Angels minors teams. He has a hundred IMDP credits, even. His first credit is for Dennis the Menace in 1962. And here's where I thought you might get it. Elvis's It Happened at the World's Fair in 1963. He kicks Elvis. That's his film debut. What? <laughs> uh, see, I thought you'd know that one. No, I know he played I really Elvis. I thought that's where you'd get me. John Carpenter, didn't he? Anyway, I thought, yeah, from the Disney movies. So, yeah, here's some of the, here's some of the amazing Kurt Russell character names. Whitey, like you said. Whitey. Yeah, Follow from, Me Boys. From, from Follow Me Boys, right? Jungle Boy on Gilligan's Island. Quano on Lost in Space. Dexter. You got, Dexter yeah. Riley from the trilogy. If you're the worst right. energy trilogy, I got it. Uh, Johnny Jesus. I don't know what the hell that's about. Mm. Morgan Two Persons Bodine. What the fuck is that? Let, that's another Disney movie. Okay. Uh, Lucky Lockhart. Now we're getting to the more modern ones. Reno Hightower. Mr. Nobody. He played Elvis twice. twice. Um, not counting 3,000 Miles to Graceland. Oh, okay. What's the other? Wow. Anyone want to give me the other one? Elvis. Elvis John Elvis Carpenter's Elvis. Right. And Bubba Hotel? No. <laughs> no. Bruce Campbell. <laughs> Bruce Campbell. No, here's a fun trivia for you. He is the uncredited voice of Elvis in Forrest Gump. No shit. Oh. Where yeah. you get that dance, boy? Oh my <laughs> Yeah. Santa, Ego, Copper, Lieutenant Gabriel Cash, Wider, McCready, Jack Burton, Stuntman Mike and Snake Pliskin. Oh. And then wh- whoever the fuck he plays in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which I watched last night. Goddamn great. Yeah. He's got like a it's a boring name. It's like mm-hmm. Bill Miller. <laughs> <laughs> And movies of his we have talked about. The Best of Times, Tequila, Sunrise, Hango, and Cash, Executive Decision, Escape from L.A., Breakdown, Soldier, Poseidon, Death Proof, 3,000 Miles to Graceland, Overboard, and Big Trouble in Little China. And I was happy to see, I think Empire Magazine did, or The Guardian did a list of, like, the best actors who've never had an Oscar nomination. Oh. Kurt Russell, And it's really? like, he is a solid fucking movie star. Uh, I've never yeah. given a performance that's, like, awards stuff. He kind of does this. He does in this, The Thing he, is a great performance. Yeah. He kind of does the same thing every time. But I love Kurt Russell. He has great... So do a lot of people, let's be honest. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think it's more t- about the movies that he picks to be in. I, I think he has an yeah. old-timey actor quality, and it's not just because he very occasionally breaks out in a John Wayne impression on purpose and accident while acting. And <laughs> Come on. Big trouble in Little China, man. Yes. I love that movie. Yes, but he, he does. And, he does an impression specifically in, in Death Proof. Yep, and that's not nostalgia talking. I didn't see that until like five years ago, and I freaking loved it. Goddamn thing, beautiful, beautiful. Yeah. So I'm going to give you guys a choice for outro to honor one of the people we lost too soon, either Howard Ashman or Nate Dog. Friend like Howard me was Ashman, that too soon? Oh, 
Howard Ashmore, we have a lot of choices because he did finish some songs for Aladdin before he mm-hmm. passed away. One of the last things that happened when he was alive was they got a screening report back from Beauty and the Beast. And he was basic. He was near death. He was blind and wow. was down to like 80 pounds because AIDS is fucking awful. And they told him that, oh, the test screening went really well and the audience loved it. Oh, and then he, yeah. he passed away the next day. Yeah. So... Something from Beauty and the Beast. I wanted something with a lot of words because he's the lyricist. So, I mean, friend, friend like, like me, me or be our guest. Mm-hmm. Oof, that's a hard yeah. one. I mean, friend like me is the one that I that I immediately thought of as far as being a lyricist. Like that thing is jam packed, mm-hmm. and I mean yeah. that in combination with Robin Williams' performance and the animation of, during that whole number. I remember it just yeah. blew my mind when I was a little kid. And having just, like, having. So- anything used it several billion times to close out a podcast segment it'll it really works well for that okay well i was also <laughs> going to throw out somewhere that's green from little shop because that song makes me cry i but we're huge i think shop we should fans celebrate here. the man and friend like me is a good call oh, no offense to nate or, we, I we, love Rick. or smoke weed uh, smoke weed. <laughs> 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 i'm gonna i'm gonna try and combine both um yeah we need a mashup <laughs> sounds good <laughs> All right. Thank you guys so much for listening. Patreon.com slash laser time if you'd like to support us. And if you can't afford it, hey, maybe tell a friend about the show. We appreciate you so much for listening. Go out there and enjoy something. I'll tell you what important anniversaries are coming up next week. Thanks so much, guys. Take us out, Howard. Mr. what will your pleasure be? Let me take your order, jot it down. You ain't never been like me. Life is your restaurant. Come on, whisper what it is you want. You ain't never had a friend like me. Yes, sir. We pride ourselves on service. You're the boss, the king, the shine. Say what you wish. It's yours. True dish about a little more boggling.